it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Hi, and welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast brought to you by Nerd and Tie and Cynical Synergy. Oh, yes. I'm Charlie Etheridge Nunn, a writer and a fan of the Mass Effect franchise, even slightly Andromeda. Hi, and I'm Miles Reed Lobato, and I'm a fan of, well, not really a fan, I acknowledge the cynicism inherent in the image comic Void Rivals. Well, that's an incredibly new comic, isn't it? It is. It came out last week. It's an image comic written by Robert Kirkman, he of The Walking Dead and oh, Invincible Pumps. Uh, oh, Robert yes. Um, yes, the um, immoral Ant-Man. Yes. You know, the guy, Marvel Zombies, that guy. And yeah. drawn by Lorenzo Di Felici. And it's your kind of standard enemy mine knockoff. You have two rivals of two warring factions crash landing on the same planet. And they have to learn how to put aside their fundamental differences and find a way to survive. It's going fine until about 20 pages in. Jetfire from the Transformers, turns up, goes, oh, hell, I'm Jetfire. I'm a transforming Cybertronian from Cybertron. And, oh, shit, it's been several million years. I need to get back to Cybertron. Transforms into a jet and promptly leaves, not bringing the two aliens with them. And so you're kind of left for, like, the remaining five pages of the comic going, um... Is he coming back? Is there any? And then comic ends with a fairly decent twist. And it's just like, yes, the Energon universe has arrived by Transformers in G.I. Joe because Image now has the license to those characters. Wow. That feels and like a, a very, huh, that happened. Sort it, of. it does because it's five pages, but now you're like, okay, so do I have to? Buy, keep buying this um, for either the story, which I might do, or am I? Or do I want to buy this in the hope that the Transformers turn up? It's so incredibly cynical that I'm surprised it's not written by Mark Millar. Harsh, <clears throat> harsh. Um, yeah, Kirkman. I like some of Kirkman's stuff, but I get full up and tired of it quite easily. Like the the bleakness of the Walking Dead, um, the books. I never actually watched a TV show. Just turned me off. Roundabout volume, I don't know, eight, nine, ten. Ooh. Whenever, like the twentieth disturbing, most disturbing, horrendous, depressing thing happened, and everyone was just kind of like, "Well, shit, this sure is a zombie apocalypse." I I stayed with it until the end. I was picking it up in trades and I got to a certain point of a TV show of like, this is so predictably cynical, predictably glum and dour and miserable. And every twist is the most obvious twist mm. possible. 
I gave up on the show and was like, I'm giving the comics one more, one more volume. And it was the all out war uh, storyline. And it was a lot more like personal is a difficult word for Robert Kirkman, a man who does not know what subtlety is. No. And does not understand the concept of it. You know, he is all text, no subtext. Kirkman is pure id. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's fine. Like it leans a bit into that weird trope of American cowboy kind of like, oh yeah, everything has to go back to that sort of Wild West, everyone fair fending for themselves. Isn't this great kind of thing at the end? But see it was fine. See, Charlie, I, I've if you would listen to um the podcast, the other podcast I made an appearance on breakfast in the ruins where we talk about the uncozy catastrophe of james herbert's the dark plug um i think we do briefly talk about the fact that american post-apocalypse uh, post-apocalypse stories generally fall into that very american nationalistic mindset of um now that the society has collapsed we can rebuild america and we can rebuild it right open bracket without any of those leftist values we don't like so much and guns are awesome close bracket whereas like whenever english stories try and do the apocalypse it usually ends up being like a bunch of people in pubs having one last one before cthulhu steps on um the world's end in london yeah so um we're like nearly seven minutes in and we've already got sidetracked from what was supposed to be a cynical synergy heavy episode so i feel i should press on and say what we're doing we are celebrating the start of season two of star trek colon strange new worlds mainly by looking at the end of season one but also dabbling with something incredibly recent with the first episode of season two that's exciting yeah yeah i i had to watch it twice just so i could enjoy it and then take notes that's an incredibly uncasual thing uh to have to do but yeah uh so before we do that just quickly what non-star trek thing have you been enjoying since we last spoke charlie Mm -hmm. a man a man chooses a slave obeys oh would you (laughs) Would you kindly tell me if you've ever played Bioshock before? I have. I have played Bioshock uh, I... one multiple times and <laughs> the whole cycle at least once. Um, I recent, um, It was on sale for like 10 bucks on the PlayStation Store. And I have actually, I played a bit of one, played a bit of Infinite and never completed them. Meanwhile, Rihanna, my wife, love her to death, uh, proceeded to pick up each one and complete it in no unimpressive time, thus proving my wife is the more hardcore gamer out of the two of us. And I just thought, you know, it'd be nice to go back and, you know, try and finish the game. And, oh God, Bioshock is possibly, even though I never completed it, one of my most favorite games of all time, just because of the style, the mm. setting, the story, and just how it kind of pull, and just kind of how the story pulls you 
in. Also, you get to set objectivists on fire. Always and I, good. I am all about setting objectivists on fire. It's a very good game. I love the... Is it Bioshock 1, Infinite, DLC 1, DLC 2 kind of arc and the, the almost cyclical storytelling of it? It's... I know the weirdness put a lot of people off, but I I very much love the weirdness uh, with that. Also, to be a little bit cynical, my non-Star Trek thing from this week will tie in to an element I will bring up in a later part of the episode. Ooh. Synergy. Nice. I am going almost the opposite with my non-Star Trek thing that I've been enjoying. It has no relation to anything that we're covering today. Um, it is Die, the role-playing game. Is that the um, the role-playing game about Welsh coal miners? No, no. Although Not... I'm sure... <laughs> <laughs> no, there no. are at least a couple of games about coal miners... Um, I don't know if there are any Welsh ones specifically. Oh, so die spelt D-I-E, not die, the name spelt D-A-I. Yes, this is based on the comic by Kieran Gillen and Stephanie Hans, published by Rowan Rook and Deckard, about a bunch of role players who have a reunion. Like They used to be a role-playing group. They come together. And uh, they have one last game used in this game called Die, where everyone gets a special dice uh, based on their character class. And then they find themselves trapped in a fictional world m filled with horrendous metaphors for their current adult horrors, fears, their previous adolescent lives, and have to decide whether to stay in a fantasy world or go back to reality. And um, yeah, we're we're a couple of sessions in. It's got a very ritualized character creation. And that's really interesting to see in action. And um, yeah, it's like the prep is more than I'm used to. But okay. I'm getting to play with fun early Vertigo tropes, bad 1980s fantasy. And um, yeah, I've... Uh, a bunch of arsehole paladins who look like the college bullies. Oh, no. As, uh, yeah. Wait, college bullies? Yeah, yeah. The guys that you... The, the kind of, we're talking like the popular, like, actually would be really nice, but uh, for some reason just never got on with this bunch of freaks and weirdos that were the role-playing group. The, the idea you could have bullies in college always just kind of staggers me at best you know when you're at college like you don't have bullies you just have dickheads yeah they don't bully I mean, you you just don't want to hang out with them i guess it's closer to the dickhead but yeah we'll see we'll see because we get to play with flashbacks as well of why this kid was a real asshole um at least in the eyes of of these flawed broken individuals so yeah i'm i'm looking forward to playing some more of that and seeing what kind of weird tales we get. Like, just for character creation made it feel like there was more bleed than a Tarantino movie, you know? Ooh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. Fun. Right. And on that note, um, we have our first episode for night. And that one is Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1, Episode 10, titled A Quality of Mercy.
this episode aired on the 7th of July, 2022, written by Henry Alonso Myers and Ekiva Goldsman, directed by Chris Fisher. The number one hits for the UK. It was a weird kind of... <laughs> you can tell exactly when in time this oh, was. yes, this was a moment... The... The number one hit was Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush. So, yes, Stranger Things must have been around this sort yep. of time. Um, uh, I love the song. Classic. Yeah. Like, I'll be honest, I, when I, I generally save listening to the songs for the episode, like, to an hour before we have to record because I am a consummate professional. I decided to do how, um, Running Up That Hill last, mm. which then basically ended up in me going, you know, I've got time. I'm just gonna listen to Hounds of Love. Yeah. Because I'd say it's one of my it's probably one of my favorite Kate Bush albums, definitely one of my favorite albums of all time. It's so good. So yeah, and it's it's nice that the young's got to discover all that. As oh well. yeah. Yeah. And then on the other end for scale, the US's number one was Jimmy Cooks by Drake featuring 21 Savage. And I Got excited for a moment seeing the name Jimmy there because Drake, aka Aubrey Graham, used to play a character called Jimmy in the hit TV show uh, from Canada, Degrassi, colon, The Next Generation. And I knew he'd done a song that references and goes back to Degrassi and all that. This is not that. This, I, I assume I got the right video, but it just seemed like a promotional thing for his album and it felt a little a little undercooked really hey hey um spinning some proper music criticism right there oh yeah take that aubrey um (laughs) so yeah take Uh, that delgrassi oh dear i i nearly had an excuse to talk about the degrassi (laughs) tv show one of the darkest children's tv shows that i've seen I don't know. I, I have seen Biker Grove. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's basically <laughs> like Degrassi's tagline was, it goes there. And uh, yeah, um, Drake's character was paralyzed from the, the waist down in a school shooting. Uh, oh, well, yeah. Lovely. Yeah, they... Okay. So he, he wasn't blinded in a paint, in a rogue paintball accident. No, no. Like even the, the, the charming like 1980s version of Degrassi uh, had a kid kill himself in one of the toilet stalls. Like it was a meat grinder of a school. <laughs> and because you only have so many cast members, like they get 20 odd in and you'd realize these ones can't act. Let's quietly get rid of them. That meant all the storylines got on the limited amount of people. So yeah. it's like, oh no, I'm discovering drugs. I also have ball cancer. I'm also cheating on someone. Oh my god, and my parents, and I've got ADHD. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I think I saw that season of Grange Hill. <laughs> Cause there was a ball cancer storyline in Grange Hill. Anyway, oh, wow. this is not this is not a, a Grange Hill ball. This is not a Grange Hill ball cancer storyline podcast. This is a Star Trek podcast. So, yeah. so I'm the one here telling us, um, telling you fine folks, what exactly happened in A Quality of Mercy. Okay. I have set the timer. Ooh. And I would like the podcast recap to go now. So, 
We're on the edge of the Romulan neutral zone and the Enterprise is supplying Outpost 4. Pike meets the son of the Outpost captain, who's a big fan. He's called Matt. And Pike realises this is one of the cadets from his flash forward. You know, the one where he ends up with goopy face and plugged into a beep machine. Um, he decides to write a letter to warn Matt about the accident because he's going to die there, even though Picard saves the other kids. But what's this? Future Pike and his in Star Trek 2 clothes and no beep machine. So that's good. But no, Future Pike explains he saved himself and he saved the cadets. But somehow this made a bad timeline. He got a crystal for, from the Klingon time police in order to send Pike forward a few years, just to see why exactly this is the darkest timeline. And uh, yeah, Pike wakes up in the future, partway into officiating a wedding on the ship. He doesn't know the people, he doesn't know what's going on, and tries to muddle through until he's uh, interrupted by a red alert, and that does take the pressure off a little. Um, Spock is number one on the ship now, and we're right back at Outpost 4. It's been attacked. Ortegas reckons this is Romulans, even though no one's ever seen them and what they're really like. Pike immediately informs Spock about what's up, and while he's dubious at first, he explains that if this is a future timeline, Pike needs to act exactly like Pike would have in order to maintain the integrity of this exercise. He's fairly pragmatic about this being a hypothetical future we're trying to get rid of. Anyway, Outpost 4, it's a wreck, and Hansen gives a tour of the wreckage on the view screen. His son's not there, so he's still alive, yay. And Hansen mentions a vessel appeared out of nowhere, blew up the station, and went again. And it comes back for more, and while the Enterprise can't see it, the outpost can. It's a kind of flat green thing with some bits on the side. It blows up the outpost, fucks off again. Um, we get the Farragut, a Federation ship, showing up. And Lan's working on there currently, along with a captain called James Tiberius Kirk. You know, Sam Kirk's brother. Spock suggests maybe... We do some fun methods to obscure the sensors of the Romulan ship. Kirk mentions flying parallel on a projected course to where they would go to just look like a weird blip, a weird reflection almost on the sensors. Sam gives Pike the skinny on Kirk. He's a big old nerd, but he hates to lose and is willing to bend rules to win. And he's an all right captain, despite being a bit of a pest. Uh, the crew intercepted communication from the Romulans, and oh my god, they have pointy ears. Everyone looks at Spock. Spock looks to camera, raises his eyebrow. Even he's intrigued by this. Everyone has a bit of a chat about what to do, and Kirk mentions there's a nearby comet, and when the Romulan ship goes near it, it'll become visible. So the Federation ships move to pincer the projected area of where the ship might be, but oh no. It's not there. It's behind the Farragut. It shoots it. Oh, no. The Enterprise gets a shot off and it's all hell. The Farragut's destroyed. The crew beam over to the Enterprise. Um, there's a moment to rest. Lan catches up with Pike and drops the detail that Una is no longer with us. She's also a hugger now. Um, Kirk is pissed off at how cautious Pike's been with all of this. And One minute left. Great. Spock's found for Romulans, 
and while they could try to intercept, Pike decides to hail them, suggests a ceasefire for both ships, maybe try and repair and go on their way. And despite everything, the Romulan commander is war-weary and agrees. Uh, Kirk goes off in a shuttle on his own with a fun plan and says to Pike, call for backup, even though it's too far away because the Romulans don't know that. And a massive fleet of Romulans show up because the sub-commander of the Romulan Warbird betrayed his boss and called them in. The main currency in Romulus still being betrayal. Kirk reappears with a bunch of mining robot ships pretending they're a war fleet because Romulans ain't seen what the Federation's got. They might believe it. And it's a stalemate at first, but the Romulans have sensed weakness. They cull the Warbird, who was noticed attacking the outposts and the Romulans say now they know how easy it is to kill Federation outposts. They wreck for farming ships. The enterprise please. time is up. Oh, time no. is up. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Almost. Okay. Up. Almost there. And the stopwatch is going to go now. So that's all gone wrong. Oh dear. Back on the Enterprise, Kirk is is managed to beam away from the shuttle and all the farming ships, and that's nice, but Spock is dead. That's a bit bad. Old Pike returns and says, in his time, the war is still going on even after this incident. Spock was the best chance of peace with the Romulans, and he's dead. Every time that Pike changes time, Spock is dead. Pike's left alone by his future self and ends up having a long evening chatting with Kirk about his background, about his life and all that. And then he touches the time crystal and goes back. In the present, Pike deletes the letter, stops obsessively looking at the files of the cadets that were at the, his future incident, and instead starts looking at Kirk's file. And we get one final little quick thing as Captain Patel shows up and arrests Una for being a genetically modified person. Oh, no. One minute, six seconds. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that was, yeah, that was a, a nice tense one. Mm. Although it, it did feel a bit weird having the, here's a future that you, that might happen. You've got to play along as if it's completely normal. It sort of I, thing. I felt that kind of took, the tension away yeah because it is like it's you know you have you know here is the future you have to you will have to it's kind of you know it's the big paradox of like changing a timeline story in which case you know it's either going to be this timeline is worse than the one we had before and we have yep. to change it back or it's this is actually the correct timeline all along so Ooh. I was wondering whether it might have been better served by having our Pike simply witness what the Pike did rather than having all of the, oh, I don't know what all the differences are five years in the future, all of this kind of thing. Um, because, yeah, that does make it tricky. It, and then he has to just pretend like he's he yeah, knows what and he's then doing anyway. He starts second-guessing... Mm his own choice and then i think the problem is he starts second guessing kirk yeah because he because he do we want to talk about um the kind of the twit the conceit of the episode now or 
save it for the next episode or save it for the next episode we talk about should we save it for the next one okay fair enough as yeah i feel we could probably rattle through this one fairly quickly and then we'll have a lot to unpack yeah okay the The guy playing kirk yes forehead from vampire diaries oh okay for see when I looked at him, I could never see Shatner. I saw Jim Carrey doing Shatner on In Living Color, the wow. the the nineties sketch the nineties sketch, the, the sketch show, which kind of put Jim Carrey kind of into the public consciousness before the Jim Carrey movies. Because you know, like in, in Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, he does the Captain's Log start, and he's doing the yeah. he's doing the Shatner. That's a bit he did on a sketch show where he oh. played Captain Kirk. And he cut the guy playing Kirk looks more like Jim Carrey than he does old Billy Shatz. See, it's a tricky one because I feel like he's fine. He was the person with the least amount of personality for ages in Vampire Diaries. Uh, he was the less interesting brother that everyone's like, oh, fuck, he's, he's the lead love interest. He's the good one, isn't he? And they give him basically an exactly Angel in Buffy season two kind of arc at one point. And similar to Angel, he learns to chill out and take the piss out of himself a bit more. So he he begins to get better with that. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want like a a lookalike. No, you know I'm fine with it's. Uh, Chapel and Una both being actresses that don't really look like Madriel Barrett. I I don't need um you you don't need Wesley someone to look identical to Kirk, but as long as he gets the energy. Yeah, him. it's it like it, he's it's hard. It's really it's it's difficult to watch him and not compare him to Chris Pratt, to Chris Pine of the Kelvin movies yeah. who is doing a Kirk, but manages to make it. This is going to sound really bad because I kind of got to like him in the end. And we'll see more of him in season two. Apparently he just doesn't have that kind of, he doesn't have that natural charm that both young Shatner and Chris Pine have in spades. Yeah. He can definitely do the, I'm, I know I'm right at all of these things. I am smart, but dedicated enough that I will I will force the situation to play mm-hmm. by my rules kind of thing. Because Kirk, you know, Kirk is Starfleet. He is a big nerd, despite all of his flouting of, of things. I think everyone gets into like the how Kirk has been flanderized by pop, pop culture and yeah. the films, where he's this like he's this renegade who doesn't play by the rules. Whereas in the show, he's this guy who plays by the rules all the time, and he's really good at it. That's the thing. Like he's like there's a what you're saying about Chris Pine's definitely right. There's a not quite sleazy charm. But definitely a kind of like he he, he has quite a rake, but he's he's closer he, to that than he has the Harrison Ford kind of charm. Yeah, where like um, where you know if you watch a film like Han Solo, or, or watch any Star Wars films, or Indiana Jones, or Blade Runner, mm. if you didn't have an actor who had that kind of 
Humphrey Bogart type of charm, the character becomes a walking sex sexual a sexual harassment seminar. It's why when they have Chris Pratt doing the Han Solo type character in the Jurassic World movies, you're surprised uh. HR hasn't fired him for being a a sexist, abusive scumbag. Oh, he's so terrible in that. Yeah. Like, and, um, you know... Yeah, it, I mean, is Chris Pine the best of those Chris's? Because I like he, Hemsworth. Hemsworth's he, he, great fun, but Hems Pine just seems, like, nice with also being, you know, a have, little smug. A little have you a seen... The new, have you seen Dungeon Dragons Honor Amongst Thieves yet? Nah, I'm waiting till it's on streaming. It's he, it's fun, and mm -hmm. he he really he really kind of carries that kind of. I'm kind of a rogue, but also I have you know he does the bastard with a heart of gold, and is kind of broken inside brilliantly. Yeah, and yeah, I think just Chris Pryne just has he has that charm that you don't get a lot you don't really get a lot of in hollywood these days it is very much that kind of that bogart kind of charm yeah. that kind of that kind of cary grant at times level of charm yeah i mean that, that's the thing like as exhausted as i am by dungeons and dragons and wizards of the coast in general uh the D, D movie mainly from yeah stuff like that i i figure will be a have a whiskey you know, have some terrible junk food and have it on the screen. We ended up seeing it in the at IMAX, and mm. it was fun. Like it's the most fun I've had I had in a movie for a long time. The, the first film I ever saw in the IMAX was the old Dungeons and Dragons movie. Oh my god! I, yeah. I do want to. I do want to try. You know, I'm too cheap for it, but I want to see Oppenheimer in IMAX. Mm. But then again, I'm that guy who is going to hopefully see Oppenheimer and Barbie on the same day, as God intends. Yeah, that's the dream. So, like, Paul Wesley is is promising, mm. but not great. Not ideal, really. Like, I hope we get more, you know, hope that when we see more of the Kirk character in season two, mm. he grow, he I hope he grows into it. And finds a way to take the part and make it his own, like Ethan Peck mm. definitely does. Oh yeah, um, that's the thing. Ethan Ethan Peck is very much Spock, the same way that Leonard Nimoy and Zachary Quinto both. Yeah. Are. Um. Okay. Why do you think Ortega's and Williams switch spots on the console? Because that was that was the really odd one. Of the, it's the future. There are changes. Oh my god! Yeah, well, maybe they got bored. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's why you Ortega. Know, like, so, sometimes you maybe, like a new, a new perspective on things. Maybe Ortega's lost a bet with Williams, yeah. and that's why Ortega's is really pissy and kind of racist throughout the entire episode. Yeah, I mean there are reasons, but we'll come to that in the next one. But yeah, it's. I don't know. Sometimes these sort of time skip things can be interesting to see where people are at. Mm. Um, obviously, we've not got Una around because she's been arrested in that future as well. Yeah, we got Lan, who's only briefly back, and yeah, is a bit more 
Like emotionally Rela- stable sounds bad, but yeah, she's learned to not be tense. All she's the time. she's she's relaxed and grown her hair out. Yeah, yeah, and Lan's yeah. a, a favorite of mine as I like that kind of horrendously abrasive Paris Geller kind of and character. So do, do, it's do you know who, it's fun seeing development. And do you know who else we got? We got Scotty's arm. We did. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we got Scotty's arm. We got Ahura actually as a, a proper member of the crew and Chapel uh, in the blue as well. Yep. Also, I noticed that Ahura's um Ahura's uniform mm. definitely shows more neckline than her cadet outfit. They there's definitely a bridge between like the outfit she's wearing in this in the show and the kind of much easier on the eye female crew uniform that you see in TOS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's um i don't know it's been an interesting look into the future and also knowing none of that matters because it's not going to come to pass mm. although who knows there may be hints of some of these people's careers might start going in directions um yeah i <laughs> The wedding thing was an interesting touch, especially mm. given this was two people we'd not seen, we'd not met before, and it sounded, it looked like Pike didn't know who they were either. Yeah, um, um, and a nice little glimpse of of normal life, even if it is five years in the future before the bad thing. So I have two more. I have two que- more questions for you before we put this on the list. Oh yeah, one. Do you think that the fight that the final scene was shot in such a way that if they didn't get a season two, they wouldn't have had the scene of Una getting arrested and just have a nice scene of them all on the bridge? Because you have the bit when Pike's walking around the bridge, kind of acknowledging all the crew on the bridge, which you then could just cut if you're not getting a season two. Maybe I thought they were a lot more confident about getting a season two and got one fairly early but i don't know maybe it was just letting una uh letting rebecca remain kind of have some time off go like mm. film this one scene we'll put it at the end of this bit and that, like, that's it you, you know you, you can go have a weekend with jerry o'connell yeah um i don't know lift something second question go do you on. think the moment pike uh, cancels the letter to the cadets. He writes a letter saying, "Ortegas, don't be a racist in the future." Yeah, just don't chill. be a racist. Chill. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Um. The other thing, just before we go on to the scoring, is for Romulans. I I loved that the the commander in charge, the Warbird, was evidently as like he's been through enough. He's seen yeah. war for so long. He's someone that's actually been involved in it all so of course he doesn't want war compared to his sub commander who is kind of fresh-faced and eager to to prove himself ultimately to his own downfall as well yeah um but yeah the romulans are, are a weird one culturally mm. i find because yeah as a, a group whose main currency is betrayal of one another it's it's tricky seeing how they've survived so long and if they'll just go, yep, you out front, blow them up. And even the command's like, yeah, yeah, they got me. Yeah. Oh, well. What happened if the Mirror Universe 
um, Terran Empire met the Romulans. Because they both have that, um, screw you, I'll betray anyone to get a, a, a rung up on the totem pole. There's got to have been something with that. There's got to be a novel or a fanfic somewhere. Bound to be. Bound to be. Right. So, um, yeah, our big list. Uh, we have a massive list, currently with 54 episodes of Star Trek. Well, 53 in a film. Going from best to worst, with our best currently being Deep Space Nine's pilot episode, Emissary. Around the halfway point, we have uh, Genesis from TNG, where Barkley becomes a spider. And then all the way down at the very, very bottom, we have Enterprise's Future Tense, which was uh, just a, a wasted load of potential, really, episode-wise. It, it wasn't great. There was a kind of Doctor Who reference, but it did... A lot of work for not much anything. So, where would Quality of Mercy go on our on our list? They are current number two is the pilot for Strange New Worlds, which felt like such a wonderful uh, mission statement for it. Mm. Uh, this feels, you know, obviously it is is less than that. Um, I see we've got Spockamock down in in place number 18 which has some fun hijinks and as much as i like some timey bullshit it doesn't quite match up to that no do you have a a kind of a ballpark sort of i I don't this is kind of um this one's kind of difficult it's it's that thing of it is it's... interesting and tense. It is dependent on some information we are not telling you, the listener, right now. If you're not already versed in the Star Trek things, and take it out of, uh, take it in isolation, which is how I encountered it. It's fine. It has a bit too much, like a bit too much work to do to get us to I... this place. I think a lot of it really depends on you knowing some background, co- like some background context, to really kind of make it work. Oh, to make it work, definitely. Um, and... I know I came to this on its own and was like, mm. "Yeah, this is interesting." I think they they could have just gone, "Here's a flash forward," rather than he will also have to figure out all this timey wimey stuff. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, I think I am. I don't know. I think this part of the discussion we have to save for the episode we do next. Yeah, yeah. So honestly, I, I, oh God. See, I'm, I'm looking around, like as far as timey stuff. Magic to make the sanest man go mad is at twenty two, and that's definitely better with the kind I, of cat and mouse time loop. Sort. Of I stuff. am looking at the marquee on on spot thirty four. Because okay. like it, like it's not, it's not okay. The I would say that our list mm. doesn't start getting bad until we kind of hit the uh, the fifth, like the the fifties. Yeah, and even then, most of it is just like that. That's enterprise. 
Um, hey, and it, the I, more I, I listen to Shuttlepod, the more I feel guilty about that. But yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I we need to start watching more bad episodes of Star Trek. Well, 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 yeah. Yeah. well. Yeah, we'll definitely get to that soon enough. Um, I would have to say that. Okay, so do you think do you think this is better or worse than the game? Oh, the game is so much fun. Like it's, I think it's probably worse than the game. Like it's still it's still good, but um, yeah. I think as a, a standalone thing, the game is more entertaining. Yeah. Like this, this is fine. You know, it's good. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's, it's fine. Okay. So I guess the next thing would be Picard season three, episode one, the next generation where they get the band back together. They get the band back together. Well, sorry, it's several episodes time from then they're going we're, to get the band We're back starting together. to consider getting the band back yeah, together. Yeah, we're we're pondering getting the band back together. Yeah. This might be better than that, because more stuff happens. Mm, yeah. You know, well, we more can stuff... see some character bits. Pike goes for a journey. I I do like the bits where it's it's Pike and Kirk. Yes. Because I, you know, it does show um, both the positive and negative aspects of both characters and how they bounce off each other. Yeah, I think despite our lukewarmness towards Paul Wesley's Kirk, at the same time, those two do a great job together. Yeah, I like I I like the parts of the episode when Kirk is clearly dis where Kirk is clearly disagreeing, mm. but the story doesn't go out of its way to make either Pike or Kirk right. It just shows that both characters handle a problem in different ways, and it's just that Pike's way was fine. It just it relied on the other side playing ball. Yeah. And it's it's sad, really, because yeah, that idea of Pike's diplomacy mm. could have worked, could have succeeded, and unfortunately, due to elements out of his control, it ended up being the worst play. At the same time, like Kirk, Kirk backs to play, mm. and everything he does is to try and support Pike's position, even as it ends up causing the war they're trying to stop well again it's where he may play a little fast and loose but he is pure starfleet yeah like kirk does a starfleet yes yeah as as he is wont to do okay so are we saying better than next better than the next generation in the game yeah. yeah yeah i feel comfortable with that bum 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 so that puts it in at our new number 38 that's exciting. Um, that's also our lowest Strange New World. For now. For now. For now. Yes. Again. Um, yeah. Wait until the end of the episode to hear why. <laughs> why there are these ominous <laughs> portents <laughs> going on. Um, and yeah, the manic laughter of Miles, a man who sadly knows. Um, so now our next journey into uh, synergy 
with Strange New Worlds. This is kind of, I guess, technically a synergy with this very episode that we're about to talk about more than Strange New Worlds. But fuck it. It's a good excuse. Uh, we're going right back to the original series for the first time in a, a few episodes it's a, for us. It's been a while. It has. It is that problem of there are only so many. And I, I'm eager not to use them all up and just be watching, you know. It was, I admit, it was kind of nice to put on classic to watch TOS. Mm. Because like, huh, it's, like, it's like some old friends. Oh. So yeah, this time we are talking about Star Trek, the original series, season one, episode eight, titled Balance of Terror. It aired in on the 15th of December, 1966. It was written by Paul Schneider, directed by Vincent McAviti. And the UK and US number one hits were Green Green Grass of Home by Tom Jones for the UK and Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys for the US. I don't really care about Tom Jones, to be honest. If he's not singing with the Cardigans, I don't, I don't if, care so much. If he's not fighting the Martians in Mars Attacks, eh. Yeah, but Beach Boys, love a bit of Beach Boys. Yeah, no, no, like Good Vibrations. Um, I, I just... To put this in context, five days before this episode aired, uh, Patrick Troughton had just finished his finished his first serial as Doctor Who in p- episode six of Power of the Daleks. Okay, wow, that's just, yeah, just kind of giving a, a, a context of like where we were Doctor Who wise, because I feel like I have to keep pushing my Doctor Who cred on this show. Okay, good, good. It's all right. One day you'll you'll find someone to do uncasual who. Oh, God help us if we run out of these, then, you know, it might be an excuse for me to revisit any old Doctor Who's and actually you, finish, you, like, you know, beyond you know, the third Doctor. You know what we could do? Mm. You know what we really could do? Uh-oh. Hashtag, hashtag Blake's Boys. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, Miles, I believe you're you're the one recapping this. I I well, am. Okay, so I have the timer ready, and I want you to engage us with some fun recapping. Mowage, mowage is what brings us together today. Mowage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream, and love. True love will follow you forever. So treasure your love is what Captain Kirk was going to say at the marriage ceremony he was officiating because there's the old legend that shipboard captains are allowed to officiate weddings. Is that real? Is it a myth? Who knows? They're on the edge of the neutral zone which is the gap between the Federation and the Romulan Star Empire. The the wedding is interrupted because an outpost has been attacked. Outpost 4, huh. led led by a decidedly less Arabic Commander Hansen. Um, it turns out they were attacked by a ship, which seemed to appear and disappear before attacking, and the ship is going away. Um, Kirk and Spock theorize that the power involved to make the ship invisible will mean that the ship 
won't be able to pick up the Enterprise. So using some scientific jiggery-pokery, they start following. Um, there's a guy on the bridge, I think he's you know on like the navigation console or the weapons, I'm not sure, called Styles. His great-grandfather or grandfather served in the Romulan War, which was 100 years ago, and which neither side saw what the other looked like, and they attacked with like ships and atomic weapons, because space is big! Really big! And so, you know, you very rarely get that close quarters that you see in movies. And, yeah, they're following... They're following the ship, and Uhura is able to hack in to a brief communications feed and see what the bridge of the other ship looked like. So we see what the Romulans look like. It's Spock's dad. I mean, what? sorry, no, wait, no, he hasn't been. In, he hasn't been Spock's dad yet. It's it's a guy with pointy ears who looks like Spock. Everyone turns to look at Spock, and Spock is like, "Well, shit, this is awkward." Um, Styles immediately starts accusing. Spock of being a Romulan spy and and Spock's like yeah nah that that ain't it, it chief Kirk is tentative about attacking because doing so will start a war between the Federation and the Romulan Star Empire Styles thinks they should go all in on attacking Spock uncharacteristically for Spock is also all in on attacking and destroying the ship if the Romulans are an offshoot of the Vulcans, then we're in trouble because the Vulcans also had a violent colonial imperialistic phase, much like Earth. And so the Romulans will accept no weakness. Um, they follow the spaceship into the path of a comet, hoping that the comet trail will reveal the ship. And it doesn't because the Romulan captain knew this was going to happen, and turns to attack. And they, they fight, and they retreat, and they both sides retreat for now. We cut to the Romulan ship, where the Romulan captain is an old man. Um, he's he's lost the fight. He's lost, he's lost the bloodlust for war. Meanwhile, his younger commander is all in on starting a war because he wants he wants the glory and recognition meanwhile all the old captain wants is to kind of just get home safely with his men including um his uh, his old his old friend who's who's been with him for many many campaigns um it's kind of it's it's kind of like both sides have a captain who who just kind of doesn't want to be in the war the two the two sides meet and fight meet and fight um, the captain's second in command, his old friend, um, dies, and he, the Romulan captain, chooses to eject him out into space with some wreckage to make the the Enterprise believe that they have done some damage. But the Kirk sees Kirk and Spock see through it. Kirk and the captain kind of get into a mind game where they're trying where they're trying to predict and. Um, outthink their opponent to do this they go into submarine mode where they have to be really quiet and turn off the lights for some reason um everything is kind of going well until spock accidentally hits oh, the no oh <laughs> spock hits that button yeah that button you don't want to hit that button he hits the button on the oh. console which is make a big loud noise yeah oh well right oh, well. okay Time's up. 
Let's see. Can you balance this, Terror? Kirk wants to fight, but he doesn't want to start a war, and he has to wrestle with the possibility that his actions, because he is alone out here, and his actions, the actions of one man, might dictate the fate of millions. The two ships come together, and you know, come to, they come together, they fight, they flee, they come together, they fight, they flee. And in the end, Kirk and the Enterprise gets the upper hand on the Romulan ship, and the Romulan captain is one of the few survivors, and he gets in the communicator with Kirk and says, "You, you fought, well, you know, you fought well. I won't, you know, we will choose to blow ourselves up with one of the nuclear warheads we have on the ship, but in a different reality, you and I could have been friends." And the ship explodes. Spock saves Styles from a coolant leak in the phaser room. And thus, and us making sure that Styles is no longer racist against Vulcans, but in doing so, the 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 groom for the wedding was the only single casualty. What a convenient twist! And so the episode ends with Kirk consoling the always a bridesmaid, never a bride, and she is hurt, but she'll be okay. And Kirk, he'll be okay too. As he walks, as he walks out, a wounded man. But as he walks through the crowded, the crowded corridor of the Enterprise, he stands tall. He walks a little prouder. He's the captain. He has no space for hesitation. Wow! One minute forty-four seconds, and fucking Elmos. You know what this was. A really good episode of Star Trek. A really fucking good episode of Star Trek. My word. I I messaged you not even halfway through uh, when I was watching this going, fucking hell, this is a bit good. Yeah. Like, literally eight episodes into this. All of this. And fuck. Oh, so like, it's, tense. It, like, there are some... There's some incredible, like, there's incredible lighting. Mm. Like, they, like okay, the, the dark shadows over the eyes just kind of feels like this very sort of very cheesy kind of 60s TV kind of technique, but it really works. Mm. Like, there is some, there's some fantastic acting on all, on all hands. Um, I, I think Shatner has some fantastic moments here. Yeah, like it's it's watching these early episodes of Star Trek, like the early early episodes, when I feel like Kirk is less of a cartoon, and more, definitely much more multifaceted than he does kind of become, and how the general perception of Kirk will become, like there is a like there are scenes where you have Shatner clearly carrying the weight of the world. There yes. is some fantastic theatrical, physical acting. I think it was interesting seeing them close out, um, putting the start of the end credits on him walking through the halls. You know, it felt like um, a slight, slightly more victorious version of the end of Tuvix, where Janeway is like, just had to do a captain here like had to do some very dark very like 
bad decisions like i had to do this and stow it like had to keep all that going and just walking through the corridors walking through her people and with kirk this like yeah this victory but at what cost Mm. you know a romulan commander well the whole ship that was an enemy but a kind of respected one nonetheless is all dead and yeah and we see the human cost with with the groom from this episode it as well. It does feel kind of ludicrous out of out of none of the out of all the fate. There was only one fatality, and it was that one guy. Yes. Um. I feel like if there had been more fatalities, then and him have him just being the stand out, mm. it wouldn't feel so. It oh, wouldn't yes. feel so melodramatic. I think later star treks would probably do that Mm. and would go well you know we lost five people and one of them was this guy the guy that you invested in but i think there's definitely it's like um with cat's paw where they they kill the one guy and Mm. kirk is obsessed with him this guy being dead yeah for the whole episode but this feels this feels real in a way that a lot of deaths in Star Trek don't, because even though he's in like three scenes, like the like the two like the groom and the the bride and the groom, like they have one scene in the chapel, then they have then it turns out they're in the same department, and that kind of feels awkward from an HR perspective. Yeah, but still, like it does give the the ship a sense of community that again I always never really applied to trek to 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 original trek yeah because it it does become the kirk spock and mccoy show really quickly it never feels like an ensemble the way the other shows i feel are designed to be ensembles it's a tricky one with that because yeah um some of the shows like to try focusing back on that discovery has a very elevated core crew enterprise was all about you know um archer to pole and trip and that but yeah whenever you see that it's a bigger breathing thing this this ship it is rather nice and yeah you you see obviously this is someone known and liked and as obvious as it is of just of having them and only them die it still works, you know, um, like so much of this. Like, so, yeah, this episode is the alternate future, or is the correct future than the one we see in A Quality of Mercy, yeah. where Pike is put in this situation, and we see how Pike, how Pike's reluctance to go in all guns blazing and his like his steadfast, you know. Whereas Kirk is very much, I don't want to start a war, but if I have to, if I have to fight and risk one to stop a war happening, then I will do it. Whereas Pike was very much, I will, I will pursue diplomacy at all costs. Yeah, and in that one, um, the bride dies. And the groom is the one who is the groom is the one who survives. He got a very quick cutaway in the med bay, where he's weeping over her corpse. Yeah, that feels 
that feels like one of those tragic things in uh, in either timeline. Mm. One of them is dead, and it's fascinating seeing this after having seen the Strange New World episode uh, the first time, and then this time watching. Yeah, this time I I saw Balance of Terror. It's like, oh, not only is this a good episode, it makes the other one make so much more sense. Yeah. And Although space I can combat, see why they picked it. And it makes space combat seem just completely different because mm. this... Have you ever tried to write space combat as, no. as a writer? No. No, it's, no, actually. It's something I've rarely touched. It's... It's difficult. As someone who has written or has tried to write kind of space opera slash military SF kind open brackets kinda close brackets, space battles are really hard because there's part of you going, space doesn't actually work like that. Space doesn't work like it does in Star Wars and anime and whatever. Um, where space is basically a two-dimensional plane. Mm. And you're just passing each other like your naval sea ships. Whereas this plays more like space is a submarine movie. Yeah. Yeah. And well, it's well, never um... gonna be a say a submarine movie again. <laughs> That's the thing. Like I know some folks go, well, Star Wars is like World War II fighters yeah. in in space, and Star Trek is submarines in space. And it's I don't, it's Star... never more than it is here. Star you know. Trek, I would say, is more naval sailing ships. Mm, like it, it's very, it's very much like these are ships that pass each other, you know, fire a few shots, and then turn around and do it again. There's that slightly slower kind of thing than you get in a Star Wars. It's, but... it's um, it's D one. Oh, miss D two. Oh, you sunk my battleship. Well, and in um in this one, like that gloriously retro map on the view screen. Oh yeah, I loved that. That was like they were not far off of having that flat on a table with people with the long pokey sticks. Yeah, to move things <laughs> around. You know, it was it was almost that level, and it was a joy to see. You know, it's I... like oh, that's kind of charming. That <laughs> I okay, watching this. Um, do you remember Errand of Mercy? Yes. With yeah. Core. Mm. And how Core just wanted. See, again, in another world, we would be friends. Core wanted to be Kirk's one true nemesis. Yes. And meanwhile, I feel sorry for him because Kirk, like, only speaks to this one unnamed Romulan captain. Um, and I already, I, I shipped them so hard. Well, because Kirk you have. evidently feels this more than he did with Core. Yeah, like you, you have like th these two characters never meet, but they have just have such a connection because they're just going like, ah, I see what he's doing, but this is what I would have done. I see what he's planning. I love the mm. line where where the Rom the unnamed Romulan captain goes, "This man is a sorcerer. He sees inside my head." Yes. Oh, that there's definitely that great vibe of. Um, that kind of mutual respect and admiration for someone you are you are hunting 
Like you yeah. are desperate to, it, it, to it is, dispose of before they do the same to you. It, it, it is the like the I guess like the few nobilities in war, which is the kind of hmm. the, the like the respect for your equal, just as another as another man who shares your rank and responsibilities. Yeah, and it's obviously it's a level of romanticism of war which only looks at the people in command rather than the fact that it's a a fucking massive meat grinder for your poor and you know uh, ultimately the kind of thing where it's it's difficult to write about or show war in a way that will not make it still look kind of cool i and i didn't feel that this one I have a problem with a lot of Western military SF mm. because it always kind of te- like a lot of American and English kind of like treatment of war tends to very much go into that into that World War Two mindset where it's it's easier to make your enemies just faceless monsters so you can have that kind of commando war comic of blam 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 die in bed you Nazi oh. pig dog yeah. To make it just hero- just make it heroic, where the captains of both ships are very much like, no, starting a war is the last thing we want hmm. because it's war is a waste. Yeah, well, it's where in the other timeline, the unnamed Romulan commander there being like, yeah, as much as it's culturally bad and weird going yes i accept a ceasefire being like well yeah i've seen far too much of this actually if we stop for five minutes fix our things and fuck off back home that is a far more acceptable thing than just continuing this cycle at the very least for my survival Mm. and and yeah like he gets it poor unnamed Romulan commander in both timelines he gets it yeah um it's just in both timelines he also he also dies sadly and um yeah like this was one of those ones where I'm not a massive military fiction person I'm the only Etheridge man who isn't a fan of all of that kind of stuff anyway you know it's a rare thing that makes me interested like um jason morningstar's game night witches Hmm. which shows uh the kind of the horrors internally and externally of the the russian all-female like bomber pilots um or this war of mine which is about the civilian side of being in an occupied place this this felt less like oh war fiction kind of stuff this it's 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 really far removed from again Aaron de Mercy where you where you have both Kirk and Core arguing over yes war is horrendous but it's our right to have one yeah they are both stupid in that like no offense to either of them but it is that thing of it takes cosmic entities going you're being children like you both know that this is like war is bad and you are fighting desperately to be able to kill each other in a senseless fashion uh, you know it, it takes these cosmic beings being the adults in the room to uh to try and stop that and um yeah in this case it's almost the opposite thing of neither want to be in this position 
but kind of have to be and they know it's not mm. it's not going to go well no uh, and yeah we've seen a lot of attempts at re rebuilding kind of a star trek universe in a war state like the klingon war in in all of the first season of uh discovery but it never captures this tension it, in this kind of style of it, it, it never captures the blood and misery of you know i don't know if paul um was it again schneider, schneider. i i don't know if he actually had served born 1923 uh that's doesn't one. doesn't say but like he that seems about the seems like the right age to have possibly been drafted into world war two in some respect it doesn't it doesn't say not so, even mem not even memory alpha says but like that's the thing in that i do know about paul schneider though is this plot is a plot based on the enemy below so whether he served or not he kind of adapted that sort of thing the same way that a young jim shooter would be made to adapt uh things like the great escape into a legionnaire's uh, legion of superheroes mm. story with the super stalag of space admittedly jim shooter was like 14 or 15 and hadn't been able to afford to go to the cinema to see it so he just made it up from scratch but this one was the kind of adaptation that when he was chatting to um notable grump harlan ellison about it uh, the two fell out specifically because Ellison hated the idea of adapting an existing story instead of making up a brand new one yourself. Ah, uh, Harlan Ellison. What a charmer. <laughs> who, 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 who adapted one of his own short stories into The Outer Limits. But that's... Yeah. That, but then that, that one that's goes into a whole... Right? That, yeah, well, that ends up in a whole court case of Terminator. Oh, God. Wow. Um, yeah. So <laughs> eventually, I think eventually we're going to have to talk more in depth about Harlan Ellison um, oh. on this pod on this podcast. Um, yeah, I, yeah, that's I be am, a special one. Like, I am a fan, but also, yeah, Harlan Ellison was his own worst en was his own worst enemy. Yeah, in many yeah, respects. one of that that scale of writer, like yeah. your Alan's more. Where like you go, you're really Moore, good, but you've also got a lot of you've... a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah. But this is not a Hal Nelson podcast. No, not this, this is a episode. Star Trek podcast. No. No. So okay. So where in the top ten do you think this goes? Man, I'm looking at this and I'm I'm pleased you said that because I was like, I think it's I think it's better than House of Quark up in number four. Like fucking frivolous hijinks compared like, to this. Like, okay, does this does this come close to toppling emissary? Ooh, ooh, it might, it might. Like emissary, the the benefit emissary has over this is it's got a lot more time to make an incredibly cosmic story incredibly personal. It's it's really good, though. Like, like it's, I'm like, I'm looking at that top three spot. I think emissary, just because a lot of that personal cosmic bullshit is very much 
uh still like personally my jam it mm. might still be number one but we're looking <sighs> at what strange new worlds is pilot in number two which is a perfect uh statement for like what a star trek is and cause and effect which has a wonderful time loop story and then yeah house of quark it's i think it's definitely better than the house of quark yeah so then it falls to go right cause and effect and strange new worlds i feel need to justify themselves i think this might actually be number two like strange like strange new worlds is good but like this is it's good this is... i've i think it's one of the star trek episodes i've seen the most mm. but yeah i i'm not i i don't think i could fight you on on like, this like balance of terror is really good is really good television it really for is. like for like 90 like i know we've joked that star trek tos is just very kind of cheap, very theatrical. Mm. So this one hit. This one hits it out of the park. Like it doesn't need to do more. Like no. it doesn't need to do more than be theatrical with its its tension and everything that goes on. It there. does all the th- it does all the things which I hate about Star Trek Space Battles, which is people looking at a screen going, "We're doing this," and just have a shot of some ships firing, but it carries in. So it carries in so much tension. It this has shows that can work. Yeah, know? it has so much like fantastic acting from Shatner, and there is some great bits from it. There is some we haven't even talked about Leonard Nimoy mm. in this episode, who does some incredible stuff with just Spock, Spock's expressions and Spock just being nervous about the situation they're in. Like you have the part, you have the point part where Styles is kind of gently complaining about Spock. And then Spock looks over and he's biting his lower lip, waiting to see what Kirk is going to say. If Kirk will defend him or will take Styles' part in the argument. And just... For being this someone so emotionally reserved, but so on, so off balance by this revelation. Yeah. And Nimoy nails it. Nimoy nails it. And again, like I was okay. Um, last week I ran, I was at work, and a lady, and this older lady, like I think in like her 60s or 70s, came through wearing a 10 Reasons Why Kirk is Better Than Picard t-shirt. And we just ended up getting into um a discussion. Like she's seen every episode of Star Trek. We end up talking about the episode we're actually gonna talk about next and we were just talking about like yeah um we just end up talking like yeah i kind of get why like i kind of get why shatner was kind of sexy back in the day definitely in this episode like definitely i see why letter nimoy got all the fat got all the fan mail back in the day because yeah i get why these actors are so good just stripping away like the 50 60 years of cultural osmosis onto these actors playing these characters and just seeing them when they were young and in their prime and just clearly selling this cheap little space show with all they've got. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. Yeah, as I said, I I am not going to fight 
for Strange New Worlds to win over this. As much as I love that pilot, uh, as much as it is such a good statement on Star Trek as a whole, this episode is just like it's it's not just good Star Trek, it is good television. It's it good, is good it's, storytelling. It's good it's, science fiction. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Like, yeah, um, sorry, Harlan. I kind of have to disagree. I have to disagree with you. Oh no! You know what happens to people who disagree with Harlan Ellison? They what, his, join the other millions. His, of them. his 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 ghost is going to turn up in my bedroom and, and berate me. Yeah, basically. My, my, that. my brain does that to myself on a daily basis. He's going to have to get in line, mate. Ha! Take that, Harlan. <laughs> All right, number okay, number two, number two on the wow. list. This wow. this could have. This could have been it. This almost knocked out Emissary. I swear, I watched I watched the episode and I was like, this is our first proper contender. Like mm. our first one that could beat uh our number one spot. And yeah. I'm looking forward to the day that we, we find one that does, much like I am morbidly curious about what hits the bottom spot. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> hmm, hmm, mm. Well, mm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's another one down. Finally, we have the most recent episode of any Star Trek to air. Yes, we have Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 1, titled The Broken Circle, that aired on the 15th of June, 2023. That's four days ago at time of recording. Synergy! Synergy, yeah. Yeah, Synergy! We're we're talking about the new shit. Try and get in on some of that discourse. Admittedly, by the time we edit, it will be too late. Yeah, let me see if I can do my my best map berry on this one. Mm -hmm. Synergy! Nah, 6 out of 10. Yeah, I might have to reverb that just, just for the noise. Let me, let me, hang on, let me, let me try, let me try again. One more time to get you have the reverb in this one. Synergy! Oh dear. Um, yeah, I'm curious what that's going to sound like. And um, yeah, so to quickly rattle into the the minds behind this, it is exactly the same writers and director from the finale. It's Henry Alonso Myers and Akiva Goldsman. And it's directed by Chris Fisher. And the UK and US number one hits are the exact same hit. They are Flowers by Miley Cyrus. And I've never really cared about Miley Cyrus. No. I feel it felt like in the video she was wanting... It felt like she was giving a far too controlled Lady Gaga. And I admit, when it comes to this sort of era of like um, kind of pop singer i've been spoilt by kesha as you go like okay i i i was hoping for something a bit madder have you listened to kesha's new album uh not a very latest one no but rainbow's often on rotation okay like the new one's pretty the new one i'm not a kesha fan but the new Mm. the new album was pretty good cool she yeah, when she's when she hits, she really hits with me. And otherwise, yeah, sometimes yeah. I think one she did after Rainbows, I I wasn't as fussed about. 
But anyway, the Broken Circle, which I kept thinking was a Legion of Superheroes villain group, but it's something else circle. Anyway. All right. Okay, I've got my timer set, and I would like the podcast to be recapped. Now. The Enterprise is on space dock, and everyone's on leave. Hey, they can all chill. No, no. Now that they're in the fiction, the camera's rolling, bad stuff's going to happen. First of all, Pike's trying to get Una out of prison and going to take a few days away from the ship in order to do it. He leaves Spock in charge. What could go wrong? Well, Spock's suffering from stress after unlocking some of his human emotions. Mbenga suggests maybe play some music and chill out. But the second that Chapel walks in, his blood pressure rises again, which, you know, fair. Yep. Yeah, Chapel yep. says she's going to go off and do some architectural thing on Vulcan for a little bit, but not yet. And uh, no one is happy with the engineers from the dock touching all their stuff. They've got all their apps in the right places and that. Ahura shoes one away and finds a distress call from Lan, which has been kind of coded away a bit. And she's on a planet near Klingon space, looking after refugees from Nagorn. And she needs help. Spock wants to go and is told no. So guess what? It's time to steal the ship. A habit Spock will get into over the years quite a bit. Um, the crew fake a coolant leak to get rid of the engineers and get declamped from the station. That's fine, but Carol Kane is on board and she sees through all of the nonsense. She's got a bit of a weird accent, but she is good fun, so I'll let it slide. Even better, her character, Pelia, is into hijinks like no one's business. So she shows them how to properly fake a leak and get free. Spock get asked what his thing is his version of engage or hit it and it's a very spock one it's good fun and um yeah a whole weird bit but over on Kajitar 4 Lan's in a kind of marion ravenwood drinking contest with klingons to prove herself and get a meeting with the broken circle Mm. She spots Mbenga and meets up with him and delivers the exposition. Who are the Broken Circle? Well, they're a bunch of people who want to rekindle the Klingon Federation War for profit. Tuh! Tuh! What? Who would do such a thing? Fucking hell. These guys, apparently. Mbenga and Chapel stick around to provide some aid to locals who are getting sick from the process of making photon torpedoes. Mbenga's taking all of this personally, as he went through a lot of shit in the Klingon War, unlike most of the Enterprise who are off on their five-year mission during it. Both of them, though, get abducted by the Broken Circle, who need some medics. They both inject venom like Bane from Batman and kick everyone's asses like they're in some kind of Whedon joint. Mbenga beats some answers out of a Klingon, despite interrogation being something that we've proved, has been proved, does not really work as an effective tool. Anyway, uh, they get a secret message out to the Enterprise and try to escape. They beat up some Klingons and then realize the place they're in is going up. It's going into space. That's going to be a problem. On the Enterprise, the gang spot a Klingon cruiser floating around and do their best to hide. The problem is, there's another Federation ship that's appeared. It's coming out of Kajitar 4 and obviously 
here to do nefarious things. It's on an intercept course with the Klingons, and it's for Broken Circle. They know that they can try and start a war by having this ship attack the Klingons. Back on the ship, Chapel and Menga need to get off, especially given the message that they've said is basically, blow this ship up. Please, dear God, blow this ship up. They only have bits of a spacesuit, though. So they're going to activate a transponder in those bits, launch themselves out towards the Enterprise, and really hope they don't die too much in space. The Broken Circle's ship shoots at the Enterprise a lot, and they hold off on firing back for a little bit, waiting to get that right shot. They they take it. They blow up the ship, and they spot the transponder with their medics, both freezing to death in space. They beam them aboard with a very shaky kind of effect, and they are just about alive. The Klingons, however, noticed all of this nonsense, and they have some questions. Luckily, they're intrigued by Spock and decide to make their peace over some blood wine. Carol Kane is joining the crew. Oh, oh, so close. So close. Oh, 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 no. Okay, that's right. That's right. I'm in the wrap-up here. All right, and go. So, yeah, Carol Kane, she's joining the crew. She also knew Spock's mum. Apparently, her people infiltrated humanity. We'll probably get to that in a future episode. Lan is coming back as well, assuming Starfleet will let her right back in, which, yeah, probably. And Spock gets told off by April. It's But despite the telling off, he's allowed to, you know, it's all allowed to fly because he did stop a war. And that's good because uh, Starfleet is privately, quietly preparing for a big escalation against the Gorn and don't want to be fighting two wars at the same time. The end. 40 seconds. Yeah. So, Miles, I've got a question for you. Yeah. What what would your thing be? What would my thing be? You say? Can your you hear thing, me? You, yeah, you're engaged. Okay. You're... I, I sorry. I had a, I had a slight hiccup, so I kind of panicked. <laughs> okay, okay. I think. Okay, my thing. I think it would be. Ooh. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I'm on the spot here. Yeah. I realized I was going to ask this. I have not come up with one of my own. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say right now, since I'm on the spot, I'm going to say my thing is going to be, let's get it on like Donkey Kong. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, many complaints from the crew, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe like, or to me, my warp drive. Wow. I, yeah, it's a difficult one to come up with. Like, the the mention of someone using Zoom as theirs. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's fucking awful. Like, of course there'll be some captain that tries to make that their thing. Yeah. Like, uh, I tried to trying to remember what I say, and I've inherited a lot of terrible ones from my dad of like, you know, kind of got let's get a move on. You know, let's get a wiggle oh. on. It's not really a space you, isn't really a wiggle you, on. You, sort of you know there is a captain who gets his todger out for war. Dear God. Uh, like, you know, he's probably played by Nathan Fillion. And then and and then just then it's, and then it says, you know, my the hammer is my dick. Oh. Oh, that's terrible. So this episode felt like it was doing a lot but when I quick, first saw it. Oh, go but, on. But uh for those of you listening and playing the home game, what would your 
thing be, uh, please let us know on the Casual Trek Twitter feed on at Casual Trek Pod. Oh, joy. Synergy! Synergy! Oh, actually, wait, no. I know what my thing would be. Alamein! Alamein, of course. Oh, my God. Or, Terrible. Yeah. Or hashtag Blake's Boys. <sighs> so um yeah obviously we should not be in charge of any ships no no god i i bet look i can't even i couldn't even supervise a starbucks about going insane don't give me a starship oh god yeah i went mad with power just being in charge for a comic shop and that was like a staff of two or excel uh, i don't i know what yours would be it would be excelsior i mean that would be tempting especially if i was on on an excelsior class ship like they It'd be weird otherwise. The ship would have to be called the USS Stan Lee. Oh, God. Would would it steal all the credit from the USS Dick Cohen Kirby? <laughs> or or could be uh, the US... I don't know. How about the USS... Is that a bee or a wasp? That's a weird name. Yeah, sorry. No, um, a bee or a wasp just kind of flew into the bedroom. Okay. Well, uh, hopefully it's good company. And um, yeah, so this episode, aside from just talking about our things, it felt like it was trying to do a lot action wise, although writing out the recap, it was fairly, fairly basic. Yeah. You know, break, break into a place, well, infiltrate a place, get up some hijinks, leave and try not to start a war. It, it feels like um, how modern Who, Doctor Who, kind of generally starts its seasons, which is, yeah. let's, have, let's have a fun one to kind of get everyone in. Let's have some fun action. And from what yeah. I gather with the screeners for this, uh, reviewers have seen the first six and said this was the weakest. And uh, good, good. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the cast are all charming and it's all fine. It just, yeah. Um, yeah, we've seen these stories without having to resort to injecting venom and On, like doing cookie punchy. I kept thinking of plasmids. Like I, oh, I yeah. think I have Bioshock in the brain, where it's just like, right, okay, plasmid, go. You know, it's it's nice that while it was kind of self-contained, you know, aside from the the Pike Una bit at the very start, it still tagged in. The Gorn stuff from season one. Um, you know, you've got the they're obviously ramping up the chapel Spock kind of tension here yeah. as well, with him having unlocked his emotions, which I'm assuming will need to get put back or calmed down a bit or colonnade out a bit as time goes on. Cause yeah, he's he's a little more chill in the in the original series. Yep. This like this. This was fine. Like I think out of the three episodes we've watched to de- for the show for this week, this is definitely the weakest. Yeah, synergy has failed us. It has. It has. I'm certain there will be better episodes. I was surprised actually, but it felt like a lot of the trailer was from this, and yeah. that's that feels kind of. I feel fairly optimistic about that. But, um, yeah, we'll see a lot more. You know, we, we know there are other things coming. And, um, yeah, 
Kirk at the very I, least. I I think Palia. Mm. Uh Carol Kane just uh turned up and just charmed the hell out of me. Oh my um, god. Yeah. Within the first thirty like within the first thirty seconds, it was um the meme I've only had I've only had Chief Engineer Palia for thirty seconds for thirty minutes, but if anything bad happens to her, I will kill everyone and then myself. Yeah, yeah, she was so good. Like the accent was a little jarring at first, but I I didn't. Mind it was it. until I realized who who I where I've seen her before. Mm. And that's our second Princess Bride reference of the evening, because she plays Miracle Max's husband in The Princess Bride. Well, yeah, she's also been in Scrooge. She's been in Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, like, yeah, of course. Has been in of course she's been in Scrooge. Yeah. Man, I, I quote that line all the time with, with Rihanna. I'm like, look, Frank, it's a toaster. <laughs> yeah, basically that. Uh, imagine that, but doing engineering in... Oh in the future that, now, that, that's amazing like i love it i i love when we see this kind of offbeat characters mm. in star trek in star trek um because it was like yeah like weird people exist in the future well polygon did an article which was like <laughs> star trek has just upended its canon for its new engineer and it's like i know the article itself is a lot milder than that and it's by Susanna polo is generally good but it doesn't matter like if this if this alien has been around on Earth in the past, like she can join the fucking thousands that have already done it. Like Guinan I, was was there in the late twenty first, well, early twenty first century. You know? I, I just want the podcast um, audience to know that the moment uh, Charlie said the word Star Trek has just upended its canon, um, I may I, I am now currently just flipping off the screen. Yeah. The only person that I care talking about canon in a serious tone is like Spider-Man 2099 in the new Spider-Man movie. And he's a baddie. So, yeah, he gets to talk about canon seriously because he's the person we're rooting against. Like, it's, um, yeah, it's like what, six years before the show? Like this, like I'm not sure, like what, how far? I'm not sure when. I don't know when Strange New Worlds takes place before the original. Um, these old scientists. Yeah. Um. So, like, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Like, doesn't Scotty's matter. Scotty's not in the cage. Like, yeah. he's not chief engineer in the cage. So it's just like, yeah. Um, Palia, we know Scotty's going to turn up at some point. But that's not today. Well, I, I think it's a bit more that Palia is someone who knew Spock's family, knew Spock's mum, has hidden on Earth for many years, uh, like long enough to become an, a, a teacher in Starfleet Academy. Yeah. But again, that kind of ageless entity has been around before. We've seen yeah. several of them. It's fine. Like, like as long not... as you get Carol Kane on the screen, I don't care what she. Yeah, did. like okay, so uh, it's like oh my god, Spock's mum had a friend. Well, well, good for her. Yeah, she can have it's, things. It's, she can oh, have yeah. friends. It's like you know, Spock has a sister. He's not allowed to talk about on pain of death now. Yeah, and Spock has a brother. He's not allowed. To, he's not allowed to talk about because. Um. Oh God, what's his name? Sarek is yeah. a bastard. Yeah, quite literally. I, I, I still assume my personal headcanon for Sarek is that Sarek has actually 
eaten one of his own children like a Goya painting. <laughs> like he just gobbled one down like it was a fucking ham like he was a hamster devouring its young. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. Like Sarek definitely goes to the Charles Xavier school of bad parenting. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, with Spock as a rare good one. Like one that made no, it out all right. No, no. Spock is a is a, Spock is a good kid in spite of Sarek, not yeah. because of Sarek. Oh god, yeah. I mean he's got issues, let's face it. So yeah, you're saying this is our worst one we've seen tonight. And that this doesn't necessarily make it bad. Bad. It's just yeah, there were so many episodes of season one. I was just, oh, my blackened heart was was beating with joy. There were so many I, wonderful moments. I, I did love Spock having a hangover. Yes. Yeah, the drinks like, with Klingons were fun. Yep. Like that, um, like, yeah. Like, um, to go back to the old, the very nice lady um, who, came out, who came from a checkout, who was talking to Star Trek, I didn't try i didn't tell her about the show because i felt that would be gauche of me to try and convince a customer to watch my podcast from the person who's like selling her groceries right. but she was she did talk about this episode and she talks about the moment where spock has to give through the order to blow up the ship and you see the tear oh. running down his face and she was like oh, the boy can act yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that kind of yeah he he knows for yeah that message came who that message came from of what it means to do that and yeah. it's it's only a short moment you know it's it's short enough that it was trimmed from a recap but it's it's a good moment so yeah i i feel this is exactly the kind of thing you could see an older star trek do in shonkier sets but yeah it's it feels fairly fairly standard like, yeah. Uh, so, our most what is it? Our our kind of lowest Strange New World is Quality of Mercy, and we said this wasn't as good as that. Um, like looking further down, is it is it better than Move Along Home? It is, but I'm going to watch Move. I am going to watch Move Along Home. Yeah, I will then watch what... this when I watch the season. I'm not going to watch it when I like. When I I'm want to watch a Star Trek. I am going to watch this probably with my wife in the next week because she's because we've been quickly going through Strange New Worlds purely because she wants to watch the episode of Strange New Worlds where they meet the characters from Lower Decks. Yeah. So we've been we've been fast we've been fast tracking through the show, which has led me to oh, you know wait for that to watch. An ep a particular episode which I can't wait to talk about. <laughs> More yeah. sinister laughter, but yeah, <laughs> um, I I gotta say this might be better or worse than Encounter at Farpoint. Oh, the classic, the classic. Um, fuck, like maybe barely. Yeah. You know, it's it's strangely comparable in some ways, but I, I might have to say, like, this isn't as good as Let Sleep and Borg Lie, the prodigy episode, which is number forty six. Yeah. But this is better than a counter at far point. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's definitely got some similar ish elements, but for merit of acting, 
and brevity. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so that puts it at our new number 47. Number 47. Yeah. All right. Wow. So that's good. And yeah, we've talked a long time, but Balance of Terror, fucking good. And our yeah, new number two. Like we we had that one we had some serious competition for number one. Oh. What will what will topple emissary? What will it take to topple emissary? We will we, not find out next week. We will not find out next week. But anyway, you can follow us on Casual Trek Pod on Twitter. And you yep. can follow me on Twitter at, at ManMiles. Where for some reason I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can go to my blog, which is mareadlobato.wordpress.com, where you can see me talk about uh, the films of Martin Scorsese out of order. Um, I am waiting for The Last Temptation of Christ um, from my local library because I think that might be the next one. I watch. I still have to write about Shutter Island. Um, but that's where I am right now in my attempt to watch all the films of Martin Scorsese to piss off MCU fanboys on Twitter. And what about you, Charlie? Where can you be found on Twitter? <sighs> well, on Twitter, I am at Charlie underscore EN, where. Uh, from time to time, I post to catch people up on my X-Men marathon. And yeah, bother indie comics people. That's that's about it for there. But you can find my comics, my role-playing supplements on skyshark.itch.io. Uh, you can go to Fate Tales, where I've been recapping my year of reading RPGs that I've backed on Kickstarter a lot of which I've not read yet, and doing a kind of capsule rev review of each of them and what I've found, and Who Dares Rolls, where I'm hoping to get back up reviewing RPGs and talking about things like my last year or two of playing the Arkham Horror card game and the the rabbit hole of that. So, yeah, there's all of that. And... Um, yeah, next time we've teased. Oh, it. actually, hang oh. on, actually, hang on. I got one more thing to promote. Oh, is In... it Kofi? Because I also it is not that. Go to Kofi. Give us some money. We need money. Money is unfortunately a necessity. Money is nice. We are not a moneyless society. But um, if you are in the Wisconsin area, um, I will be appearing. Um, at KitsuneCon on the weekend of July 23rd, 23rd 22nd, 23rd um, at, in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where I will be performing improv comedy and stand-up with my group Takayaki Entertainment, which has uh, Nerd and Tie's very own Celeste and my lovely wife, Rihanna. Um, we will be there and we'll also be kind of hanging around because it's a it's a fun convention it's a good time it's nice to have i remember the beginning of the podcast where it's like yeah eventually i'll have something to talk about. eventually i have something to to pimp so i'll get a blog that sounds like a good idea it's here finally um and then yeah um don't don't try and debate me on twitter yeah i won't i won't respond De debating on just debating is just no 
Twitter, Twitter's not fun anymore. So, Miles, speaking of things that aren't fun, what are we going to be talking about next time and trying to have some fun with? Oh, we are going to be talking about really stupid societies with really stupid methods of dictating law and utopia. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We've got yep. some special ones. We're we are going to that trek. We're going to that trek trope. Oh, my and, God. Oh, my God. Like, oh, this would be a fun one for. Oh, yes. Hopefully for our listeners, if if not us in no. some of them. No, I do not. Like, I will probably have to watch this episode for the second time in two weeks. <laughs> and I will. I am not. I, I am not happy already. And we may have something a little special for next time. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, well, yeah. And uh, on that note, have a lovely day and do a very synergistic Starfleet. Live long. And have a jelly baby. You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. Music by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Casual Trek's part of the Nerd and Tie Network. And if you want to support us monetarily, because you love what we do that much, you can now do that by going to Coffee and looking up Casual Trek. There's a link in the show notes.